Good afternoon. Welcome to the Eco News Report, KHSU's weekly program covering environmental issues that matter most on the North Coast and in our bioregion. I'm your host this week, Jennifer Kalt of Humboldt Baykeeper, and I'm here with Tom Wheeler, the Executive Director of EPIC, the Environmental Protection Information Center. Thanks for being on the Eco News Report today, Tom. Yeah, thank you, Jen. So we are going to do a little election roundup. So we're obviously sort of political nerds who sit around and watch and read and listen to a lot of political news from local, state, and national election results. So we're going to talk about some of the election results and what it might mean for environmental issues in particular. But first, I want to talk a little bit about the flurry of controversial projects that have been happening mostly at the county level. So one election that happened back in June is 5th District Supervisor Ryan Sundberg lost his re-election bid and Steve Madrone won that seat. And so he'll be taking office in January. So perhaps coincidentally, there has been a flurry of controversial projects going through Humboldt County, particularly Planning Commission, and most of them will be reaching the Board of Supervisors for final approval before the end of this year. The first of those, there may be some surprises still out there that we don't know about. The first one we know of is on December 4th, the Board of Supervisors will vote on finalizing the Mercer-Fraser rezoning and the cannabis extraction factory that the Planning Commission approved some time ago for the Big Rock River access point on the Trinity River just north of Willow Creek, right across from the elementary school there and adjacent to Forest Service land at a river access point. So it actually overlaps that Mercer Fraser has maintained a debris pile on Forest Service land on the river access points. Without permits. Without permits, which Epic and the NEC filed a complaint to the inspector general about, and we haven't heard anything. So, <laughs> And the inspector general is who? Tell us. The inspector general is kind of the internal agency watchdog at the Department of Ag, which the Forest Service is under. We complained about this project in part to them, and the Forest Service hasn't appeared to be, oh, terribly concerned because we've heard nothing and it's been four months or so. Sometimes it just seems like these letters go into a black hole, but we're tenacious people, so we're going to not forget about these things. And December 4th is the day to tell your supervisors what you think, or of course you can email or call them before the meeting if you can't make it to the Tuesday daytime meeting. We don't know what time that hearing will be yet, but this is basically where the Planning Commission did sort of a backwards approval, where they approved the permits for this operation, but the zoning doesn't allow for that kind of use. So now the Board of Supervisors is going to decide whether to change the zoning to be consistent with the permit that was issued and consistent with the zoning. So all kind of backwards planning and very controversial in Willow Creek and with the Hoopa tribe and with the Willow Creek Community Service District, which supplies water to that area. It is right on the banks of the Trinity River within the 500-year flood zone, and it is upstream from the Hoopa Tribe's water intake, and it's also not on municipal sewer, so it would be on a septic system. So seems 
like pretty poor planning in many regards. Building on floodplains is usually not a good idea, but the planning commission may disagree with that statement. They disagree with it on a regular basis. Speaking of which, there's another project um, kind of similar where the planning commission approved a very large cannabis industrial development, which would include processing, distribution, extraction, manufacturing, and also nursery cultivation out in Dinsmore. And this is on the 100-year flood zone of the Van Dusen River, and Friends of the Eel River and Humboldt Baykeeper have appealed that decision to the Board of Supervisors. So this is another situation where the Planning Commission decided to approve the permits before changing the zoning. Anyway, another plan to build on the floodplain. We should talk a little bit about Mercer Fraser's proposal on the Mad River, which was quite controversial back in earlier parts of the year, and it was withdrawn in April. But this is a similar thing to the Trinity River proposal where they wanted to build a cannabis extraction facility, in this case, in the 100-year flood zone, just upstream from the drinking water intakes for the Humboldt Bay Municipal Water District. And that project was withdrawn. Now Mercer Fraser is asking that the property be rezoned to heavy industry but with a prohibition on cannabis activity. So they don't appear to be proposing the same project again, but for some reason they want that property on the floodplain to be zoned heavy industry, but the county staff's recommendation is to zone it for agricultural exclusive, which would be more appropriate for a floodplain than heavy industry. I mean, this is not Texas or North Carolina. What are we doing here, people? Well, to to give Mercer Fraser a slight defense, and then I will undercut this defense, they currently maintain a gravel mine on the property and gravel storage, which is something that is typically a heavy industrial use. So their statement is that by rezoning, they're actually just kind of making it correct in the way that the land is already being used. But by rezoning, they're also potentially opening up the land to other different heavy industrial development as well. Yeah, well, and the thing is, if they zone it to agricultural exclusive, the gravel operations would still be allowed and would be considered consistent with the zoning. And whatever people may think about gravel mining in the riverbanks, that use has been going on for some time, and nobody's trying to limit that use at this point in time. So why the request to change to heavy industry rather than agricultural exclusive, I don't know, but it's actually inconsistent with the county's policies on floodplain management. Believe it or not, Humboldt County in 2017, they adopted a policy that agricultural lands in the floodplain shall stay in agriculture. So that's perhaps why the county staff is recommending the AE, agricultural exclusive zoning, and that's what the Humboldt Bay Municipal Water District supports. So that countywide rezoning of over 400,000 acres went through the Planning Commission hearing, and they are recommending a suite of options to the Board of Supervisors and they will be hearing that on December 11th at their Tuesday meeting. So this countywide rezoning is really important and very complex in that there are, like I said, over 400,000 acres of land to be rezoned. And the controversy is mostly lands that are zoned unclassified right now. So the Glendale and Blue Lake area, for example, has a lot of unclassified lands that are being proposed for a whole range of different things, commercial, industrial, 
And then there's a number of large parcels, ranches, and green diamond land in particular that are being proposed by the landowners to be rezoned to five-acre minimum parcel size. So those are your McMansions out in the sticks that are a terrible, terrible form of development because they're the most expensive for the county to service. They add to greenhouse gas emissions because you're requiring longer trips. They reduce open space. It's just bad planning one. Right. And some of the worst of those are landowner requests from Green Diamond Resource Company. They are requesting something like 400 acres just east of McKinleyville to be rezoned to five acre minimums. And these are lands that before it was even Green Diamond, when it was Simpson Timber Company, they talked about developing those lands in the 1980s has been very controversial for decades. And recently, that area has been discussed as a potential community forest for the McKinleyville area. So not a popular topic. And unfortunately, the McKinleyville Municipal Advisory Committee, which was set up to weigh in on just these sorts of things, for some reason, it was not brought to them. We're hoping that it'll be brought to them before the December 11th hearing to hear what the community of McKinleyville thinks. And then similarly, out in Fieldbrook, there's some Green Diamond parcels totaling about 100 acres that they're requesting five-acre minimum residential parcels. Those are between Hall Creek, which is a fish-bearing tributary of the Mad River, and Fieldbrook Road, so kind of closer to the Highway 299 side of Fieldbrook, two separate parcels. So those are important ones to get up to speed on. And like I said, December 11th is going to be the Board of Supervisors hearing, and we'll be spreading more information and action alerts about those issues So stay tuned on the Baykeeper Facebook website, Action Alert, email system, and then Epic. What's in the hopper for Epic? Well, the big deadline for us is December 10th, and that is when comments are due on the proposed Humboldt Martin listing. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has proposed listing the Martin as threatened under the Federal Endangered Species Act. And while that is terribly thrilling news for us, it's also a bit disappointing because threatened species get less automatic protections than endangered species. And what the U.S. Fish and Wildlife is trying to do is give large industrial timberland owners, i.e. Green Diamond, a free pass to continue to manage their lands in the exact same way that is causing the Martin to go extinct. So we're going to need to turn out as many comments in opposition to this special rule that they're trying to give Green Diamond a free pass. So if you're an Epic member, look for our action alert coming later this week and check out our blog at wildcalifornia.org. Excellent. So one last controversial project I want to give an update on is the Mercer Fraser asphalt plant up near Big Lagoon. And this was a permit that was approved by the Planning Commission, and Humboldt Baykeeper appealed the Coastal Development Permit to the Coastal Commission. We're waiting to hear what the next steps will be on that. We just heard that Mercer Fraser has signed a waiver of the timeline that requires Coastal Commission action within 49 days. We don't know when that will be coming up and in what form, but we'll keep people posted on that as well. We have a lot of members who are kayakers, bird watchers, hunters, and fishermen who love Big Lagoon and its amazing habitat. It's a really special and unique place. Mercer Fraser got a temporary permit for one year to have an asphalt plant on a former lumber mill site 
up there if you know where the log pond is at Big Lagoon. But now they're looking for a longer term permit and the county did a really exceptionally poor job analyzing the potential impacts and consistency with the Coastal Act. So it must be said the county is scrambling to deal with a tremendous number of permits related to the cannabis ordinance that they adopted and Pretty much every other type of development is suffering from lack of attention and thoroughness on the part of the county, I have to say. I mean, it's really disappointing to see how poorly planned a lot of these projects are. Building on the floodplain, putting an asphalt plant on another floodplain project. You don't think about lots of building on the floodplain as being something that goes on in California, but it's happening or it's being proposed at least and approved frequently in Humboldt County these days. But we're keeping an eye on it and we'll let people know when we hear next steps on any of those. But speaking of thrilling yet disappointing, Tom, now we can start talking. <laughs> Tom is thrilling but disappointing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think my wife says that. <laughs> I meant the election. Oh, oh, okay. You said that the Martin listing was thrilling yet disappointing, and that kind of made me laugh because, you know, the the elections have been thrilling but disappointing in some regards. On a local level, fantastic. Well, we had a progressive sweep of Eureka, which is great, but we had Susan Seaman elected as mayor. We retained Natalie Arroyo and Kim Bergell, and we elected Leslie Castellano. So four strong women going in and helping to lead Eureka. That is very, very exciting. And maybe the race that is most exciting to me is the Richard Marks, Marion Brady Harbor Commission election, where Richard Marks just kind of trounced Marion Brady. And why this is exciting is that Marion Brady was proposing a kind of revisioning of Humboldt Bay from this nice, pristine waterway that people like to kayak in and supports a a healthy fisheries industry and oyster industry to one that would just be export terminals and trains and deep water ships and all of these other things. So I'm thrilled that Marion Brady both lost. And I'm also actually even more thrilled that we retained Richard Marks because Richard Marks has been a, a great voice on the Harbor Commission. You know, under his leadership, we got toxic pulp liquors removed from the bay. We put a bunch of solar panels onto buildings that are generating electricity. We actually have increased the business that the Harbor Commission is doing with shipping. We've supported a, a vibrant aquaculture industry. So Keeping Richard on there is great. No one works harder at their job than Richard does. Yeah, it's really fantastic in so many ways. But, you know, for me, watching the trajectory of what happened with the pulp mill over all the years and then going to the many hearings where the Harbor District was discussing what to do about the pulp mill and taking the big risk of acquiring the pulp mill to enable all the grant funding and the EPA Brownfields cleanup grants and Superfund money to get rid of you know what was basically abandoned by a foreign company 
and left to just sit there and, and fall into disrepair and leaking all over the place. Richard's long history of having worked at that pulp mill for most of his adult life and being a union organizer. And, you know, I first knew who he was because he was the union leader who was demanding that the pensions and the health benefits for all these workers whose average age was like 55 at the time the pulp mill shut down in 2008. He was really standing up for them and for their basic workers' rights when that company basically left in the middle of the night. One of the most galling things about this election was that Marion Brady actually criticized the removal of the pulp liquors, that the EPA came in and used taxpayer money, I suppose, not local taxpayer money, but national taxpayer money to remove these pulp liquors. She said that instead we should have held the company responsible, Evergreen Pulp, which was amusing because she was introduced by the vice president of Evergreen Pulp, Rex Bone, at her campaign launch. So if if she wanted to hold the company accountable, she should have just turned to Rex and (laughs) said, open your checkbook. But, you know, it, it was this kind of revisionist history of the Bay that was soundly rejected. So yay. Good job, Richard. Keep it up. And we're looking forward to another of your terms. What what else local? Well, we also had Sophia Pereira, the great progressive leader and environmentalist in Arcata. She was retained together with Brett Watson, who is a, a friend of the environment as well. So another good election result out of Arcata. The rest of the Humboldt County election results have less bearing on the environment directly. We look like we're removing the McKinley statue. It looks like Measure K, the sanctuary ordinance, is going to pass. So both of those, just as a bleeding heart liberal, which I am, both those are exciting to me as well. (laughs) Well, just to back up to the Eureka elections, something that's really important from my point of view, watchdogging development in Eureka is the new mayor. So Eureka is a very unusual city in that the mayor of Eureka appoints the entire planning commission, and I believe all the other commissions in the city. And this has been a very odd process to observe, especially with several progressive younger people being on the council, having no input whatsoever on the planning commission. And it was it was very stark to me going to a planning commission hearing and watching the city of Eureka planning commission talk about sea level rise as if it's not really happening and nothing really needs to be done. So we'll just rubber stamp this and put it in the files because we don't need to worry about that. So the cities, both Arcata and Eureka, as well as the county, are all in the process of updating their coastal plans, which is how development is governed in those jurisdictions. And they all have grants from the Coastal Commission to update these plans, which are really outdated. They're from the 1980s. They basically guide development in the coastal areas. So these are all going to be discussed at hearings and modified and voted on by the planning commissions of Eureka, Arcata, and the county. So changes to the planning commissions are really where a lot of the rubber meets the road for development issues and for protecting the environment in the coastal zone. And one of the things that made me a big supporter of Susan Seaman was she explicitly called out that the Planning Commission was not representative of the city. It was kind of the last vestige of the good old boys club as ruled Eureka politics and humble politics for a while. So I know that she has 
two planning commission seats that she'll be able to fill pretty soon once she begins. The things have terms and the terms carry over, but she is looking to add voices that have historically not been part of the planning commission to have businesses that have gone through the planning commission process instead of just kind of the the same old voices. We're going to have new people. I you know don't know if we'll have better results. I hope we will, but I'm excited to have new voices. Yeah, it will just be exciting to have a range of people represented on the planning commission rather than how it's been. And speaking of planning commission, county planning commission is going to have some changes coming up as well. One is that when Steve Madrone takes his seat, the planning commissioner for the 5th district, Ben Shepherds, his term will be expired in the end of January. And likewise with Virginia Bass's representative on the planning commission, who, if you'll recall, Kevin McKenney resigned from that position after being outed for violating a whole suite of local, state, and federal laws that protect wetlands in particular in Humboldt Bay. And the Department of Fish and Wildlife did the work. We made it public and called for his resignation. He resigned. He wasn't the worst planning commissioner by far, but, you know, when somebody is clearly violating the very laws and protections that they're charged with upholding and implementing and enforcing. That's just unacceptable. So Virginia Bass appointed Mike Newman, who is a former Eureka City Council member and a local insurance agent to replace Kevin McKenney. And that term expires in late January. Mike Newman also doesn't live within the, the city of Eureka. Kind of an odd an odd fit. He's within the sphere of influence, I believe, but is not within Eureka itself. And, you know, I I think that Mike has many admirable qualities. He does his homework, but he is certainly, when we were talking about a member of the good old boys club, he is he is a card-carrying member. <laughs> and he votes with them too, you know. It's hard to not see that the fix is in when you go into a planning commission hearing. It's pretty defeating for a lot of people just to go and have their voices heard and fall on dead ears. There are some good planning commissioners to be sure, but they are in the minority. So hoping for some changes there that will get more of the public represented in the county planning commission. So on a state level, one of the environmental issues that we should talk about is Proposition 3, the water bond, which failed. And that's unusual. Water bonds usually pass in California, but this water bond was opposed by many because it had so many bad projects in it. Basically would have funded a number of dams, a lot of projects that were proposed by agricultural interests in the Central Valley that would have really been detrimental to fisheries. And so that bond failed, which was really surprising to me. But I guess people did their homework. and I think that we had a a weird alliance on that one, which is you have your Sierra card-carrying liberal environmentalists like myself. The Sierra Club opposed this proposition. And you also have your Harold Jarvis Taxpayer League types that, you know, that view this as too much government. So strange bedfellows came together to, I believe, kill that proposition. Right. And then, you know, much has been said about the national elections, which have been really interesting. You know, the last, just today, um, the news came out that the Arizona Senate seat being left by Jeff Flake as he retires from the Senate 
has been won by a Democrat, first Democrat elected to Congress in Arizona since 1976. And there's a lot of really exciting news as far as the number of women who were elected, the first Native American women elected to Congress, times two. First Muslim women, I believe, two, also times two. Times two. Yeah, very exciting. And of course, very exciting that the Democrats took back the House because as an environmentalist, you know, we watch a lot of times the committees in Congress and when with the Democrats taking leadership in a lot of the committees, like for example, the Committee on Science, Space and Technology is now going to be led by the first registered nurse ever elected to Congress who's from Texas and she was just reelected. So she will take over as chair of the House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology, replacing Lamar Smith, the Republican who's worked hard to limit research on the causes of climate change while harassing government scientists. And he sort of famously held out a snowball on the floor of the Senate and said, this is proof that the climate isn't changing. And so to get science back into the discourse was a goal of many people. And after the March for Science, a lot of people were activated to, you know, support government science, science budgets. And then there was a PAC formed called 314 Action, which was a political action committee training and supporting STEM candidates, as they're called for office. And so they managed to get, I believe, seven people with science, technology, and math backgrounds. And, and that includes medical professionals. And so now we will have more people with science backgrounds than talk radio hosts in Congress. So that can only be a good thing. <laughs> I talk radio hosts, so I don't know, Jen. <laughs> so the Trump administration's denial of climate science and the rollbacks of environmental protections have really led to more scientists wanting to run for office, which is fantastic. You know, the days of scientists sitting back and being neutral and watching politicians with no science background make all the policy decisions, we really need to move past that. It's, it's, we can't do this anymore. But we also shouldn't rest on our laurels here. Most of the science that is used in government is developed by the executive branch, right? So that is still firmly within the control of the Trump administration. He now has his political appointees in place for many of the top agencies, and we are going to see further rollback on important federal regulations like the Clean Power Plan, Obama's signature late or second term way to address global climate change. So we we need to continue to march for science. We need to continue to submit our Freedom of Information Act requests, and we need to continue to protect whistleblowers. And now Hopefully, with these additional committees, we'll have some power to subpoena, to investigate abuses of science within the executive. And we're almost out of time, so that's a great way to wrap up. You know, democracy is a participatory process. It doesn't end by any means with voting. And so if you live in Eureka and you have some new city council members, get to know those new city council members. They want to hear from their constituents and know you know, what people are most passionate about and, and what kinds of things they should be working on. It's really important that people don't just vote and then step back and let someone else speak for them. So call your elected representatives, email them regularly, let them know what you think, and 
especially when they do something that you approve of, make sure you let them know. Because a lot of times, you know, people work really hard who are in elected office as volunteers, basically, in city councils. They have full-time jobs, and they don't want to only hear from people who are angry about something. They also want to hear when they're doing the right thing. So pay attention and be kind to your neighbors and your elected officials. Love each other. (laughs) Keep Eureka safe for everyone. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This has been the Eco News Report. My name is Jennifer Colt with Humble Baykeeper, and I've been your host for the past half hour. I was speaking with Tom Wheeler of Epic, and we were talking about some of the controversial projects coming up that we hope you will pay attention to and get involved in, as well as a little election roundup based on the viewpoint of environmentalists. And don't forget to visit the Humboldt Baykeeper and Epic website and Facebook page, sign up for action alerts, and stay informed, get involved, tune in, and see you next month on the Baykeeper edition of Eco News Report. If you have any questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 826-6089. If you'd like to replay this interview or share it with others, you can go to the KHSU archives at khsu.org, or you can download a podcast from wherever you get podcasts. The Eco News Report is produced at Humboldt State University. Many thanks to Fred McLaughlin for engineering. Join us again next week for the Eco News Report. 